Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Dr. Gregory Denunzio. He's a clinical coordinator at the Sphere Center in the 3D Biomechanics Lab. I'm going to talk about 3D movement analysis. So, Greg, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your background and then, um, you know, the projects you're working on right now, please. Yes, of course. So my undergraduate degree is in mechanical engineering, and I did that for six years. But exercise, health, nutrition was always a passion of mine, and I knew I wanted to make a career change. So I started working on a master's degree in exercise science, which led me to chiropractic school. So I have a doctorate in chiropractic a master's degree in exercise science. And in January, actually, I'll start on a doctorate degree in kinesiology. Just because this this whole movement, movement is life thing, it may sound cliche, but it's true. And again, it's been a passion of mine for a long time. So I was fortunate enough to, after 20 years of clinical private practice, land at Northwestern Health Sciences University and oversee this this Swery clinic and this lab. And as far as that goes and treating patients, it's even in private practice. I had a multidisciplinary clinic. I had physical therapists, massage therapists, a couple other chiropractors uh, with me. And it's always been, this is Northwestern Health Sciences University's mission, but it's always been mine also. So the fit was perfect. And this 3D biomechanics lab is located within the Swery Clinic on the campus of the university. So what are you trying to figure out in terms of uh, is it people's movements, you know, while they're under surveillance on camera or is it just, you know, for health reasons? Like what's the purpose of the project? Yep. Uh, well, yes, all of it. So, so the lab, I can give you a description here. Uh, we have 12 infrared cameras around the perimeter of the ceiling We have a treadmill with force plates underneath it, and then we have two video cameras on the floor at right angles to the subject, and one picks up high-speed video. So the idea is to evaluate movement, and we do it by looking at this in three dimensions, and that's what makes this unique. Typically, these labs are only used for research, but we put packages together that will hopefully draw the whole general population into this. So first we look at angles. So we can see the angles at at the ankle, knee, hip, pelvis, low back. We can essentially digitize the entire body. And we look at the angles and we also look at the forces. Uh, So we take the, the patient's height and weight and that allows the force plates under the treadmill to calculate the forces being generated. So it allows us to see the forces through all of the joints. And and what we look at in both the angles and the joints is the symmetry or lack of symmetry or abnormal movements also. So in other words, 
if we see if we look at the right side and see the angles and look at the left side and they're skewed considerably then something's going on there and we know what the norms are and the same with the the forces so we can see where the forces land either through the center of the joint or the center of gravity of the person and if one side the forces land way outside of where they should be versus the other side then again, something else is going on there, and it typically leads to a compensation to make up for that asymmetry or abnormality. So that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I'm sure most people are not symmetrical. What can you tell from the degree that, you know, so I'm imagining someone walking and they have like a limp, I'm just picturing that in my mind. So they're coming down on their right leg harder or something, you know, and their top is swaying back and forth. Like, what do you look for? Is this again for health reasons to be able to tell the person okay you're putting like you know you're striking 20 percent more on your right here's where it's coming from etc like what's the goal yep exactly and to your point i'll back up for a second we're not symmetrical even in quote a normal state you know one hand is bigger than the other one foot is typically bigger than the other so so we're not symmetrical overall but we're looking for small changes we can make. So so more specifically to your question, yes, if we know that you're loading one side of the body more than another, then you may be coming in because you have an injury on that side and that's your complaint, or you may be coming in for injury prevention. And okay, let's try to balance this out because the body's very good at a, adapting and maybe over time, nothing would happen, but chances are you'd experience some discomfort or something down the road. So it can be, it can go two ways here. One, for injury prevention. And two, somebody already has an injury. Now we need to figure out how to balance out the strength from side to side, the muscle activation pattern from side to side, whatever may be going on there. And so that's the type of thing we're looking for. And that's what we use that information to do, to map out a plan or a program to address that. Well, yeah, how can you determine if it's a, a subluxation, you know, a tight muscle, a loose ligament, maybe the length of one of the bones or sections of someone's leg or something is just shorter than the other? Like, how can you tell what's going on? So that's exactly right, that all of that or some of that could be happening. And this is a beauty about having this biomechanics lab within the clinic that we do. So, so for instance, we will see this and I will look at, that'll lead us down other roads. And I'll look at flexibility or muscle tightness from side to side. I will look at, we can look at muscle activation patterns. In other words, the glute should fire at a certain time, then the hamstrings, then the opposite side of the low back. So I look for these patterns and that helps determine where to go with the plan that we come up for the patient. And to your point, if there's a subluxation, see, we look at musculoskeletal issues here, but it doesn't happen without proper control of the nervous system. So, you know, we may need to look at elements of the spine that innervate those extremities and, and make sure that the nervous system isn't uh, being interfered with to send the proper signal there. And that's, that's the beauty of this and being in this profession. And, and we have multiple providers in the clinic who can assess the nervous system 
in different ways. And, and this is the other beauty of, I'm getting off on a tangent a little bit, but it's the other beauty of having this within a multidisciplinary clinic. Uh, we may see the same thing, myself and another provider or two providers, but one may approach it differently than the other and have a greater effect on resolving the issue than the other provider. So this is the way we go about it. So we, we get the, the findings. Some of them are very apparent and obvious, and some of them are a little more subtle. So it causes us to go into more of an analysis, more of an orthopedic or medical or chiropractic type of exam. Well, could it come from someone's shoes? Do you have them take off their shoes? Uh, you know, obviously if a woman's wearing heels or if a man has a shoe where, you know, it's worn, let's say they pronate and the shoes are just, the soles are just worn, you know, that could be causing more problems or they have an insert. I mean, just on and on and on. Like, how do you, how do you find out what's going on? Yeah. So this is the part that I get passionate about, Richard. It's so we can look at somebody and we can look at them standing there and it looks like they're pronating, over pronating, arches dropped, however you want to explain it. And we can just look at that and say, okay, we need a shoe or an arch support. Or we could do an analysis like we're doing here with in three dimensions. And you have to look the whole way up and down the kinetic chain, so to speak. So we have to look at what's going on at the ankle, the lower leg, the knees, the thigh, the pelvis. So somebody could stand there and you could see that over pronation. But if the pelvis is tipped forward, I'll just word it that way, that's going to cause a change through the thigh and the lower leg. and make it look like you are over pronating. So this is a part to me that I love about what we do. We, we need to dig deeper and find the true source of the problem. So we can recommend a shoe or an arch support if we just look at the foot and see that, but it's not going to take care of the source of the problem, which is at the pelvis, which needs to be fixed to really give a long-term benefits and hopefully resolve the situation. Now, that's not to say that arch supports or different shoes wouldn't help provide more comfort, but we need to get to the source of the problem. And that's where the 3D analysis comes in. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is your thought, is your thought process, you know, it always starts in the pelvis? Or like, is there a master area from which a lot of problems seem to come? I can tell you from all hundreds of people that we've looked at, we're either looking at the pelvis or down at the feet. seems like the knee kind of, no pun intended here, well, it's not a pun, but the knee's caught in the middle, so to speak. But we, we see the, what, conditions or the abnormalities or dysfunction, maybe is a better word, either at the pelvis or down at the feet. So yeah, I've learned and I've also learned, you know, this is interesting because I've been working with athletes through my whole whole career and observing them. And, and what has surprised me about being here in this lab is I will watch somebody run. And when they're done with the analysis, they'll look at me and say, okay, what did you see? And I now I just kind of laugh and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to wait till we get the report back because we've had instances where person who works with me will, will give me the report and say, Greg, this person's doing this or that. I'm like, no way. I, there's no way they're doing that. And we'll slow everything down and look at the graphs. And because we have it measured, lo and behold, they're doing what the report tells us. So 
it's interesting and detailed and allows us to get to places we typically wouldn't get to. What are some of the therapies? Do you do chiropractic? Do you do posture therapy, physical therapy? Like, what do you do? What do you guys do in the clinic for various issues? Yep, we do chiropractic care for sure, acupuncture. Um, we have some functional medicine docs that look at, you know, if we have balance issues, patients with dizziness, uh, traumatic brain injuries. We have some providers who really focus in that area and get the stimulation of the nervous system going in a different way outside of a sudden adjustment. We do different modalities such as electrical stim, get soft tissue work, myofascial release. And a big one, and, and I've learned this from coaches and people at the University of Minnesota, is is truly stimulation of the muscle to get it activated. And without getting into a lot of detail here, you can do it through what's called neurolymphatic reflexes. So there are different parts of the nervous system that allow us to approach a condition a different way, depending on what's going on. So, so is this 3D system something you invented or it's just something you utilize in the clinic? No, the, the 3D system is, there are, what, probably three of them or so in the state. It's a company that we purchased it from. And again, there's, the Mayo Clinic has one. They use it for research and, and they do some of what we do for the general population. Uh, Children's Hospital in St. Paul does want, has one there primarily research-based, but it's state-of-the-art. It's not something I made, that's for sure. I'm not that smart. Uh, but it's something that we purchased and, and specifically to, to evaluate this and lead us into research because that's the other thing we want to do with this clinic and this lab. If we have a condition, we want to find out what the best treatment protocols may be and be able to measure them in the lab and put some numbers behind it. So it's not just us saying that this works, but it's us proving at Northwestern Health Sciences University, that's what we are doing is working. What's the efficacy of you using it? How are results for the patients now versus before you were using it? What's different about it? I think it's that, that level of detail and measuring what we can't see, right? I, I can watch you move, but I can't measure the forces. And the forces on the body are typically what's going to cause the injury. So this allows us to get the force, not only measure the forces to see exactly where they're landing in relationship to the body or the joints, and it allows us to be more what precise in, in what we're giving the patient to do. And I typically, and I don't know if this comes from engineering or, or what, but I'll find the most obvious one or two things, and I will give this the subject, client, patient, whoever it is, um, one or two things to do, because if we throw five things at you and nothing changes or heaven forbid you get worse, how, I don't know where to go next. So I kind of do it in a thoughtful manner also, because typically if you, if you address the most obvious problem, then some of the other issues will resolve because of that. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. What do you notice that's, uh, I don't know, what, what kind of insights are you getting that you didn't get before? You said forces. So any examples you could think of, you know, oh, you had someone that was doing this and you, know, you figured out that. Yeah. Well, we had, uh, yeah, I'll use a ultra endurance runner as an example. He was told that he had stress fractures in the, 
the head of the femur and that he would have to take time off. And this is a person who would not just take no for an answer. So he, he took the, the two months off that were recommended by his provider and it didn't change. He was still in a lot of pain. So he came to us and we did the analysis and looked at those forces and found out where they were. And, you know, he wrote a testimonial for us. This guy runs races between 50 miles and 150 miles. And, and so what we did was he, we gave him the program. I gave him the program that we wanted him to do. And it was all strengthening. It was, it was laying off the running and laying off hills. He was going to run a big race that had some crazy altitudes and elevations to it. And so we were able to just keep him doing strength training and he was shocked. Uh, he ran the race and, and again, we have the testimonial. He had absolutely no pain uh, when he was done. And actually then instead of running a 50 or 60 miler, he entered himself into a hundred miler. No pain. I know it's crazy. Just say, Don't push it, man. We just helped you. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm a runner, a huge runner, but, but I like it 10, 12, 15 miles, these ultra endurance athletes, but that's a whole different mindset, but it's fun, fun to work with them because they want to get better. But this is the other thing that we see and I have to preach to people. More is not better, right? If you're a runner, you want to run more. If you're a lifter, you want to lift more. A swimmer, you want to swim more. And you need to pull back from that because that leads to the injuries, especially repetitive motion injuries. So my deal with him is he, he probably got better just as much by laying off the pounding of the running as he did by the strengthening and the drills that we gave him to do without being out on the road, taking that pounding over and over and over again. So what was his issue? You said you gave him strengthening exercises. So did he have these fractures they talked about or like well, what was in, in his case, what was the specific problem? Just out of curiosity. He, um, you know, I have his uh, situation here. It's been a couple of years since, since we did that, but he, uh, he, he had, oh, let me, so he had previously dealt with multiple stress fractures in the femoral neck, and he had a lot of pain in that groin area. So they recommended rest and possibly surgery. His wife said that she could tell uh, he had an issue because one leg would flare out more than another. And so that those were the specifics of, of what went on. And if I remember correctly, he had imaging and, and he showed it to us. And there wasn't literally a fracture there, but there was evidence of a damage to the bone. So he was getting to that point. And so that that's probably what allowed us to balance out the strength and from side to side and give him things to do without making anything worse that in conjunction with laying off running you know allowed him to heal he he was also told that uh, he had a hernia and so when i went in to check certain areas i didn't feel any kind of hernia but i felt what we call the psoas muscle and that needed to be addressed also so some soft tissue or myofascial release work was done in that area and that took his groin pain away also so it was that combination. Okay, makes sense. Do you work with athletes that are playing sports on a field? You know, like what I was thinking with the runner, you know, he wanted to use the improvements to run 100 miles. But what about yourself? Or what about someone that just runs like a mile or two? You know, yeah. if you made all the improvements and balances, what would they experience in a short 
run versus what they experience right now, for instance. Yeah. So this is what we get in the athlete world, so to speak. We get the the high performance athletes. We have looked at those and we also get more to your question here, maybe the weekend warriors who, who just want to stay healthy. And some of them have minor issues and they come in because they don't want it to get any worse or they want it to resolve and we could give them things to do. And quite honestly, some come in with no issues. And so then we give them strengthening exercises and I go into the explanation of this. We, we need to cross train. We need to strengthen joints the whole way around the joint. In other words, we need to move front to back, back to front, side to side and diagonally. That's the best, in my opinion, and some studies show this, that is the best way to strengthen the joint fully and help keep it healthy. So those are the kind of things that it, so it ranges to get to your question. Somebody could come in with really not a whole lot to complain about and we give them the exercises to be more preventative. And some come in because they're hurting a little bit, but they don't want to, they don't want to stop. So we try to catch it early. Obviously you have different protocols, obviously depending on the situation, but for, I guess for generalized uh, help for people, you probably put them through a range of motions for their for critical joints so that they're really getting every angle possible and they're strengthening the joint and all of its uh, possible motions, right? Yeah, we look at that. For sure, we look at that. And another big thing that I've seen over the past probably five years is breathing patterns. So that psoas muscle I talked about connects to the diaphragm and it's the main hip flexor and when that when somebody's stressed they breathe more shallow and more frequently and that also stresses that psoas muscle and uh, so this is an example of what we look for so when that psoas muscle is stretched then the muscle on the opposite side of it the glutes which we need for extension especially in running especially in lifting for squats and, and other movements the glutes disengage or, or they're inactivated or deactivated. So, so the other thing I look at is not only the strengthening of the joint around the entire joint at different angles, but I look at their breathing patterns and get them to calm down to get those muscles to relax so that they can fire the way they should. Because if you're stressed, the muscle's going to contract and you can tell a patient or a person to stretch that muscle, but they're so wound up inside that they're not going to be able to stretch that muscle to the extent that they need to uh, to see results. So, so there are there are multiple areas that we have been in practice for over 25 years. And what excites me is I'm still learning different things and different ways to help people uh, either get better or prevent injuries. Yeah, no, that's great. What observations have you made in general about people that, you know, talking about joint taking you through all its motion makes a lot of sense, but what other, uh, I don't want to call them platitudes, but what other general type uh, insights have you gotten from people? Yeah, here, here's a, so, so an interesting finding we, we have looked at, uh, there's a group here, well, a group in Minnesota that it's a club for the elite distance runners uh, in Minnesota. There are our Olympic trials folks, some have gone to the Olympics, and we have looked at uh, the female athletes and some of the male athletes in this group. And this was interesting to me. We found in 
pretty much all of the female athletes uh, left rotation of the pelvis. Now we're examining these gals when they're in their late 20s, early 30s, but they've been running since they were in grade school. And if you think about it, they're running around a track and they're running around a track as they're growing and going through puberty and developing. And so which way do you run around a track? You run around a track that would cut in a, in a, you know, around to your left, which would cause left rotation of the pelvis. So again, you know, this is me speculating, but I, I think there's more of a coincidence. It's more than a coincidence that, that we see this. Now, are we going to change this? the whole way back so that they balance out probably not at this stage but with these elite athletes they a little bit of change can make a huge difference in their performance so that's you know these are the kind of things that we find that i don't know that we would see if we didn't measure them the way we do in our lab yeah well that's really interesting so you help people also that just have physical problems that just are normal everyday people or do you focus more on athletes well, a great question. And this is so far, it has been predominantly athletes, but I don't want to segment this lab into that because we have seen a person who had a stroke. She had it 14 years prior to coming to us and her rehabilitation. The providers did a remarkable job. She was doing very well, but she wanted to do better. So we were, we did the analysis on her, gave her more strengthening exercises, gave her some balance drills. And and I tell everybody there's a progression to doing these things. So once these are not challenging to you, come back and talk to me and let's give you the next progression. And she actually came back for another set of, of exercises. So that was very rewarding. We've also had somebody who had a fusion of her second toe and so it altered her gait, altered the forces and the way she was walking and the forces through the joints. Now, we didn't take away all of her discomfort, but by adjusting the metatarsals or the bones in the foot and doing some soft tissue work and some balance drills, we also gave her some relief of her discomfort. I won't go to, again, I won't say we took it all away. Uh, but it made a difference to improve the quality of her life. So the message is, whether it's a balance issue, a surgery, some kind of condition that you had, a stroke or whatever, we don't want to exclude those people from this type of analysis at all, because I think we can uh, do a great service and provide benefit by looking at those conditions. Um, do you have cases where someone has to over-strengthen one side of a set of muscles in order to, uh, you know, walk or move properly when they normally wouldn't. Does someone need imbalance in a certain way to be balanced because of their physiology? No, I can't tell you I've seen that. Typically it is, I haven't found it structurally that way. Although your point that you made earlier when we first started this, the, the leg length thing, where does that come from? I, you know, that could be the femur or the tib fib longer on one side than the other. And there are norms there too, as far as what causes problems if, if there's too much of a discrepancy. And that structural kind of thing can exist. But I have to tell you, at least to this point, we have, I have not seen that structurally to say, okay, we need to change something here and get you out of balance, so to speak, to, 
to compensate for that. It, it is typically, and this is a thing that we find when you treat patients, we're a culture of it hurts here, so fix it here. And typically the pain is evolving because you are compensating for something else that's not moving right. So to answer your question, I don't know that I've seen it that way as you described it. Typically what we see occurs the other way. You are, you are putting excess stress on an area or on musculature to do more work because you want to make up for an area that's not moving the right way. Yeah, I guess so. Another way to ask it is how smart is the body? If you give it what it needs in terms of muscle strength and nerve function and, you know, just everything it needs, does it tend to bring the person to their best state? Yes, I, I think so. That in, innate intelligence, definitely. But so we did, the body is also very good at making up in other ways, specifically in this, I'll give you a case, it's more genetically, but we did an analysis on an Olympic sprinter who felt that her left leg was giving out 60 meters into a hundred meter race. And, you know, when we looked at her, we did the analysis and her strength from side to side was greatly different and her core strength wasn't there. I mean, she was laughing. She couldn't do some of the exercises, but I think genetically, she was so gifted that she could do what she did at that level to a certain point. So, so when you give the body everything it needs, uh, yes, uh, it, it stays, I think it stays healthy just by that innate process of, I don't have to do anything extra in any other area to make up for anything. So what about um, how long the treatment stays? I've been to chiropractors, for instance, sometimes they'll, you know, they'll adjust me or I'll do like a posture session with someone else and rest for a while. And sometimes it seems like the next day you wake up and it's all undone. So how do you make sure that these things stay and do they stay or it just takes X number of treatments to, to get there? Yeah, I, I think that is what repetition in doing it. So my message to my patients is, is it's my job to get you out of my clinic. So I do the adjustments and do what's needed to be done in the session. Then I give you things to do on your own and give you the frequency and duration to do them. And if people are consistent with them, I typically don't see them back again. And when you when the patient comes back in and I asked about how the exercises or stretches or whatever it is that I've given them are going, you know, they, they kind of laugh and we all do this. This is human nature. Pain motivates, right? So they, they're oh, like, yeah. well, kind of sloughed off on the exercises. And so I'm big into giving people things to do on their own so that they can take care of this long term. And I, I don't know that I could put a time frame overall on things. It's condition specific as to how long it would take. But I believe that if we get the body lined up, the structure allows the function to happen. And if the patient or athlete is doing what we recommend for them to do, it's going to stay and not return. That's my, maybe it's a little idealistic, but that's what I've seen in practice. I, I may not see somebody for a year or whatever it may be. It's a long time till they come back. Or something. And I think it's that consistency and compliance and doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. Yeah, I guess someone will come regularly and then they'll, they'll come less and less and then they'll come for tune ups periodically, right. right? Right. I would always leave that, you know, this is a thing. 
I don't know that there are studies out there to say it, but I patients, I would tell them, you know your body. We we as doctors, professionals, providers need to to listen, really take in what the patient's telling us. And people would ask me that all the time. Should I come back once a month or what should I do? And I would say, you know your body. If you feel like it's once a month, once every six weeks, every other month then you go ahead and schedule out there and and do it at that frequency. But, you know, I trust the patient to know how they feel and what's going on. And I never, in my 20 some years, dictated a a frequency for them to come back for a routine visit. But, you know, over time, things happen and they're going to come back. It might not be for the same thing. It may be for something else. So that's, that's just the way I see it and my philosophy of practice. Well, last question. I've seen people, I don't know how it's it's possible, they like bent in half old people, you know, and I've, I guess over years and years, they've slowly just, I don't know, lost posture and they're literally walking bent in half. It's amazing. Have yeah. you ever had anyone like that into your clinic to see what the body's doing and how it's compensating, you know, and obviously try to help them, but have you ever had like an unbelievably extreme crazy case in the, in the clinic and, and observed to that extent, I, no, Richard, I, I have not, but but I understand what you're talking about. And, and some of this is the vertebra and losing the disc space between the vertebra and the tightness of that psoas muscle in front starts to pull us forward, both muscularly and structurally from the spine. So that bending forward, depending on how extreme it is and what's going on, some of that is, I don't know that you can you can reverse that because we know the disc dehydrates as we get older, and that's going to cause a change in posture. And, you know, I'm not sure what you can do chiropractically to, to change that to a great degree. You might want to keep movement while you not might you do want to keep movement in there to the to the extent you can and maybe some strengthening of the musculature on the posterior chain so to speak that's behind us to help uh, stabilize that but some of that's a process that and i and i can't even tell you why some people are more predisposed to that to be totally honest with you Uh, but i've seen it i haven't seen anybody in my clinic to that extent though so yeah, it might be interesting to have them maybe do like a, a free session or something just so you can see what happens to people under those crazy conditions, you know? Yeah, for sure. I would. Yes, I, I have an idea in my mind where I would go. And some of that would be to start with the breathing and the relaxation to loosen everything up on the front side of the body so it doesn't start to pull you forward and and my guess is there are things you can do for sure. Uh, it would be dependent on having the imaging done to be able to see what goes on with the vertebra and the space in between each vertebra and, and the shape of the vertebra. Some of them are wedge-shaped, and, and that will start to pull you forward even more as you lose disc height. So there are multiple ways that that can happen for sure, and probably multiple ways you can address it to some degree. Well, very good. Where are you located and if the patients are in the area, where is that and how can they find out more? Yes, we are at Northwestern Health Sciences University. We're in Bloomington, Minnesota, and you can find us by going to the Northwestern Health Sciences University website. And I don't know how much specifics if my email address, but definitely can get us to Northwestern Health Sciences University Biomechanics Lab 
Swery Clinic or the university website as a whole will lead you to our lab. And if people Google your name and Google your lab, do you have like a, any videos of patients and you know the or people standing and the differences in posture, any of that stuff that's available yet? Yes, there are some videos on uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page to both uh, Northwestern Health Sciences University has a Facebook page, as does the Biomechanics Lab and the Swery Clinic. So there's information there, and there are videos there also, so you can get a better picture of of what goes on and and what the experience looks like. All right, very good. Well, Greg, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been super interesting. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.